Hey, it's Josh Barrow back with another episode of Serious Trouble. For free subscribers this week, we have an update on RICO, uh, and it's federal RICO. No Labels, the political organization that wants to put up a third-party candidate in the 2024 election, uh, says that its political opponents, who do not want them to do that, have violated criminal RICO uh, by doing things like telling people they'll never work in this town again if they work on that No Labels effort, or threatening to put out opposition research on the candidates that No Labels might run for president. Is that a crime? No, it's not a crime. It is a very entertaining and very baseless claim about what violates the federal RICO statute, and we break that down. For paying subscribers, there is much more this week. We look at the Fonnie Willis debacle, more evidence suggesting that Fonnie Willis really did have an affair with Nathan Wade, the uh, special prosecutor that she appointed to oversee the RICO, the Georgia RICO prosecution involving Donald Trump, and the way that that could cause the case to unravel, that she could be removed uh, under Georgia law for a conflict of interest there, and the the case that was already going to take years to go to trial will then basically sit in purgatory with possibly no new prosecutor appointed for a very long time. Real mess. Uh, we talk about how that happened, and you know how could she possibly have been so stupid. We also talk about the E. Jean Carroll case uh, before long-suffering federal judge Lewis Kaplan in New York, uh, which has been a very messy process as it moves with some delays toward verdicts. Uh, and we talk about Alec Baldwin, who has been indicted again, prosecutors in New Mexico taking another crack at prosecuting him for that tragedy on the set of the film that he was starring in and producing, Rust, where he shot the cinematographer. Um, there are some real evidentiary hurdles for the government here uh, to try to prove that Alec Baldwin committed a crime. Civil liability is going to be another matter. And anyway, we talk about that. And we also talk about proceedings before Judge Chutkin, where Donald Trump is mad that uh, the government was filing motions even during a pause. And Judge Chutkin actually said, yeah, please don't file any more motions. But that pause is probably going to be over soon anyway. So if you want to hear about all of that, Go to SeriousTrouble.show. You can upgrade and become a paying subscriber for $6 a month or $60 a year. You'll get that full episode. You'll get every full episode of Serious Trouble, nearly 50 episodes a year. And you'll be part of the community that is making this show possible. Uh, we are supported solely by that subscription revenue. And you'll be able to join our discussions in the comments section, often lively and interesting conversations about the litigation that we follow on this show and sometimes producing questions that we answer on our air. So again, uh, if you'd like to hear all that, please go to SeriousTrouble.show and upgrade. Thank you. Hi, it's Ken White. And it's Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. Ken, this is a very exciting week uh, because we get to talk about RICO this week, and it's not even Georgia RICO. We get to talk about federal RICO. I feel like no one ever talks about federal RICO anymore. No, I think all they can talk is Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. But you know what? Federal RICO is still out there. We should acknowledge it. Just maybe not like this. Yeah, Federal RICO is out there and, you know, people are violating it all the time. And there's all sorts of cases that prosecutors could bring uh, charging people for the RICO that they're doing. And those lackadaisical prosecutors, they just, you know, they're not bothering. Uh, and that is uh, something that we see in a letter from No Labels. Now, No Labels is a political organization, a sort of centrist pressure group organization. They've done something unusual. They've gone out and they've gotten ballot access in a few dozen states. Their plan is they want to run a third-party presidential ticket in the 2024 election. They say if Biden and Trump are the nominees, that doesn't reflect the real preferences of the country, which 
frankly, is not a crazy thing to say. And they say, and therefore, we're going to find, uh, you know, two middle-of-the-road candidates. We're going to put them on these ballot lines. We're going to run them in, you know, as many states as we can. Uh, maybe an effort to win the election. Maybe some sort of cockamamie effort to create a hung electoral college so the House of Representatives will decide it. It's not entirely clear what the, the no-labels people are up to. And what a lot of the people uh, in the Democratic Party establishment see, they basically see this as a spoiler effort. They say no labels is going to cause Donald Trump to be reelected as president of the United States. And they don't like the no labels effort and they'd like to stop it. Um, and so there has been this political effort that has been somewhat hardball. Actually, interestingly, it's been sort of spearheaded by this group called Third Way, which is another centrist Democratic group that you probably would have thought of as a likely ally to no labels before this stuff happened. But Third Way has made no labels public enemy number one. And they've built this coalition of Democrats and also some ex-Republicans like Bill Kristol. And they're really trying to stop the no labels effort. So, you know, for example, they have filed legal and procedural objections in certain states about no labels as ballot access. Uh, they've threatened that they're going to conduct opposition research on anyone who agrees to run on the no labels ticket uh, and uh, publicize damaging things about their reputations. Uh, they've threatened that if, you know, if you're a Democratic operative and you go do business with no labels, you won't get other business with Democrats. So it's been hardball stuff. And sometimes they've used aggressive language. Uh, and no labels is very upset about this. They say this is RICO. Uh, they say that if you say if Rick Wilson goes out there and says that no labels needs to be burned to the fucking ground politically, or as some operative apparently said that if you have one fingernail clipping of a skeleton in your closet, we'll find it. If you think you were vetted when you ran for governor, you're insane. That's nothing. We're going to come at you with every gun we can possibly find, unquote. No Labels says this is a RICO conspiracy to undermine their civil rights, their donors' civil rights, the civil rights of voters who might vote for a No Labels ticket uh, if there were to be a No Labels candidacy in 2024, that this is all a crime and the Justice Department should investigate it and maybe prosecute some of these people who've said these mean things about No Labels. So I realize that's a big preamble, but Ken, is this RICO? No, <laughs> no, that's not Rico. It's not. No. It's not a crime uh, to oppose people politically and say that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna say nasty things about them in the paper if they run against you. No, Josh, this is deeply embarrassing. <laughs> this letter <laughs> and the publicity campaign surrounding it really just undermines any argument no labels ever had for credibility. It's whiny completely implausible throughout. It is hysterically written. Uh, the the things they claim are federal crimes that are predicates to a RICO uh, case are, are not federal crimes. Almost everything they describe is just politics as politics. You know, and sometimes politics is, you know, you'll never work in this town again. And that's freedom of speech and freedom of association. And unless you're doing something illegal, it doesn't make it illegal. Uh, as you suggest, they take a lot of um, big talk from big talkers, things that it's clearly metaphorical and mere overheated rhetoric and try to portray it as true threats, which it isn't. They talk about um, lawsuits that have been filed in some places challenging their ballot access and try to portray that as a, a RICO thing, which it isn't. It, it's just a travesty. Uh, if there were no labels before, the, the label they should get now from this is dipshit. Um, <laughs> it's a terrible letter. And and Josh, it, it just it's not RICO. RICO requires a whole bunch of complicated things, one of which is a series of predicate federal crimes. Mm -hmm. They don't have any predicate federal crimes, let alone the other elements they would need. Uh, in fact, a lot of the stuff that they're complaining about is absolutely clearly 
protected speech under the First Amendment. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we talk about when people shout RICO about things that are much simpler criminal offenses that you would just charge as a simpler criminal offense. But this this goes one better because there is no underlying criminal offense. There is no underlying criminal offense, and and some of the stuff is affirmatively protected. So this brings up one of my favorite obscure doctrines, Josh, that I'm delighted I get to talk about. Is it about venue? Uh, It is not about venue. Uh, It's called the Noah Pennington Doctrine. And this, that's named after two cases. And what it says is that you can't use federal statutes to attack protected speech and petitioning activity. So traditionally, it was used to say, for instance, um, if a bunch of companies are using lawsuits against competitors, even if you can come up with an argument that's anti-competitive or a collusion, you can't use antitrust law against it under Noah Pennington because it's protected petitioning activity to petition the courts. Same mm-hmm. with labor law. Uh, you can't try to portray companies exercising their rights by lawsuits as a violation of, of labor law. And this has been applied to RICO. In fact, I won a case in the Ninth Circuit about this where, Ooh. no, it is not RICO to have a series of lawsuits against somebody because that is protected petitioning activity. The people who wrote this letter, and I have no idea who actually penned it, but they they need to switch to decaf, (laughs) clearly have no firm grasp of what a federal crime is, of what RICO is, certainly not of Noah Pennington. Uh, I'm, I'm aghast wondering who the intended audience for this is. Well, uh, I have I have some thoughts on on who that would be. Okay, but I mean, when we talk about the intended audience, I, I want to ask first about a lot of the claims that No Labels makes in here, where they say they did all these things and it violated our civil rights, and therefore that's RICO. If their civil rights were in fact violated by these various acts, I would assume they would also have civil claims that they would be able to sue and say, you know, you're violating my civil rights, stop, I want damages, that sort of thing. That's what you would do if you actually had a viable claim, because the Justice Department is going to take this letter and throw it in the trash. And so I assume that this is the sort of letter that you write when you cannot actually file a lawsuit because you're going to get laughed out of court with that lawsuit. Anyone can write a letter to the Justice Department and say, please prosecute these people. Um, you know, and, and you can say, well, the Justice Department should have done that. And, you know, it's it's very unfair to me that they didn't do it. It sort of seems to me like the, the reason it took this form of a whiny letter to the Justice Department was there wasn't a good way for it to take lawsuit form. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, if these are genuinely some sort of violation of rights, whether, you know, interference with a uh, contract, interference with prospective business advantage, defamation, whatever it is, even civil RICO. I mean, you can sue someone civilly for RICO if you can demonstrate that the RICO conspiracy harmed your business interests, caused economic damage. Uh, but they haven't because they clearly can't. Uh, this is this is very much just like you said. Anyone can file a complaint with the Department of Justice. One thing we've frequently seen over the last few years is people and organizations filing a complaint and then saying a complaint has been filed with the United States Department of Justice, trying to make the listener confuse it with something the Department of Justice is doing. You know, trying to falsely imply that the filing of the complaint implies that some level of uh, some level of quality or some level of credibility has been found when it hasn't. And so, yeah, no, I, I don't think this one goes in the trash, Josh, because years ago I found out there's a, there's a famous crank file at the Department of Justice where they... <laughs> put the most choice 
crazy things sent to them. I mean, this is where you find the letters from the guy who thinks that the Secretary of Transportation has, in, has uh, installed a GPS in his scrotum. And I think that's where you're going to find this letter is, uh, is the choice crank file. I assume the intended audience for this letter is the people who have been running this political campaign to undermine the no labels effort. And I think it's because that effort has been working. Um, It is very difficult to run a third party candidacy if candidates don't want to take spots on the ticket because they understand that hell is going to rain down upon them that is both going to be damaging to their reputation and that will interfere with what effort they might make where they think that this could actually lead to them being elected president. Um, It's very hard to staff up an organization like this if people fear that uh, it's going to be bad for their future business efforts to go work for it. And even though it's purportedly this centrist organization, the Nancy Jacobson who runs it is a longtime Democratic operative. That's where her Rolodex would be in terms of staffing this up. Uh, so I think that broadly the pressure campaign has been successful and they would like people to stop putting that pressure on. And I assume they figure that, you know, even if the Justice Department isn't going to prosecute and even if they don't have a civil claim that they can effectively pursue in court, that some people might be given pause because they will be afraid that they will be sued or they're afraid I guess, maybe afraid that the Justice Department will take this seriously for some reason and consider prosecuting them. But I assume it's an effort to chill the political efforts of their opponents. Well, I mean, the thing with the threat is, Josh, that if it if it's not a credible threat, it doesn't show strength, it shows weakness. This is not a credible threat. This is more a desperate flail. The people who are doing the, the anti-no-labels campaign to the extent they're doing it uh, are relatively sophisticated, and they're, they're already, many of them, correctly laughing at this. Uh, so I think, if anything, it's going to have the opposite effect. It's going to draw attention to the allegations that the no-label campaign is just a spoiler and not serious. And uh, I, I can't imagine what the thinking behind this was, if there was any. And I, I would note, by the way, this letter is signed by Joe Lieberman. It's also signed by Patrick McCrory, who was formerly the governor of North Carolina, a Republican. It's not no-name people who agreed to put their names on this letter, uh, which makes it sort of especially notable to me. Um, I want to talk about a couple of the specific examples in the letter, uh, in part because I always get confused about extortion, because you know it, it, it can be criminal extortion to threaten to make certain disclosures about people, even if those disclosures are true, if you are demanding something to which you do not have a claim of right. And so is it, you know, can it be extortion to say, I'm going to dig up true dirt on you and put it out if you do this thing that politically I would not like you to do? Well, the key to the difference between protected speech and extortion is whether you're demanding something you have no plausible claim of right to. So when Michael Avenatti is, uh, you know, saying, I want $24 million from Nike, he's got no plausible claim of right to it. So his threat that he's going to expose them and tank their stock price is extortion. Uh, similarly, when when Bill Cosby's alleged unacknowledged daughter said that she was going to, if it didn't pay a huge amount of money, that she was going to expose him. That was extortion. Here, I mean, they're just threatening to engage in politics. They're threatening that, you know, if you go forward, we're going to we're going to engage in politics and reveal things you've done and, you know, expose you for what you've done and advocate against you. And that's well within a claim of right, because you have a First Amendment right 
to do those things. And the thing Wait, I'm sorry, asking- isn't the claim of right to people not engaging in the no labels political effort? If you say, you know, I'm going to disclose this opposition research about you unless you refuse a spot on the no labels ticket. The, the demand is not about the opposition research. The demand is about, I don't want you to run for this office. Right, because the, the demand of right here is a persuasion and association one. So you're saying that if you engage in this course of action, then I'm going to expose you. It's no different, ultimately, than saying that if you vote for this abortion bill, then we're going to expose you for your past where you paid for somebody's abortion. You do have a claim of right to try to persuade someone uh, not to vote a particular way or that type of thing. So it's pure politics. It it does not map easily onto extortion. And then similarly with this sort of you'll never work in this town again stuff, uh, there's a specific instance where there's one operative who uh, had been a business advisor to a actually the ambassador to Malta. Those sorts of ambassadorships are generally given to high level Democratic Party donors or would be Republican donors if the president were Republican um, and basically said, you know, it's you know, if you keep doing this work with no labels, it's going to be really bad uh, for your career in democratic politics. The ambassador did, in fact, cut business ties with her some weeks after that threat was issued. This is not tortious interference or extortion or something like uh, no labels suggest it is. No, tortious interference in that sort of thing when you're talking about speech, generally it has to be wrongful by some measure other than just doing the thing. So it has to be, it has to have some other element of wrong. This is no different ultimately than, again, to use a modern political example saying, look, if you go work for David Duke, I'm going to make sure everyone in the world knows that you work for a racist and you're never going to work again. That's perfectly legitimate. It may be hardball, but that's politics. This letter is so funny to me because of what exactly you described there. I mean, it's politics is not always pleasant. It's not always nice. Right. But first of all, there are good reasons why people play hardball in politics. The outcomes in politics are important. Right. So, you know, it makes sense to say if you're going to try to use the government to produce bad outcomes, if you're going to try to get someone elected who we think is going to do bad things to the country, uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to work really hard to stop you from doing that. And we're going to tell members of the public that they shouldn't like what you're doing. It's hard to think of something that is more core protected political activity than that. It is. And that's why all this is funny. I would argue it's several long strides along the spectrum of sad, uh, that end of funny. And uh, I mean, frankly, going out there and saying, stop being mean to us, or we're just going to have the government prosecute you for RICO is (laughs) probably more credibly an extortionate threat than anything that's in the letter. But it's not, right? No. Like, did no labels do the RICO here? No, because it's not even remotely plausible. It's it's hyperbole, (laughs) and it's, it's throwing a hissy fit. Well, and also, and they're petitioning the government. Exactly. Very stupidly. Right. <laughs> Speaking of stupid, let's talk about this Fonnie Willis situation. <sighs> so, uh, by the way, uh, you know, we, we talked about this, this situation. Fonnie Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, leading this prosecution uh, related to the efforts to steal the election in Georgia for Donald Trump, this RICO prosecution with many defendants, including Trump himself. Uh, she appointed this outside attorney, Nathan Wade, to be the lead prosecutor for this. And one of the defendants has alleged in court that Willis and Wade have been having an affair um, and that Wade has spent various money on luxury, quote unquote, luxury vacations with Ms. Willis um, and that this constitutes a conflict of interest. It's also extremely embarrassing. 
And we talked about, you know, they the filing didn't come with any evidence of the affair, um, but the attorney who filed it is considered locally a, a credible person, and she had a good argument about why the evidence wasn't there. There were certain files that had been sealed as part of a divorce. Um, and so anyway, those those files have now been unsealed, and there's also been a filing in the divorce case that included credit card statements that showed that Nathan Wade purchased airline tickets for himself and Fonnie Willis for trips to San Francisco and... That's the end of this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. If you want to hear the rest of the episode, if you want to hear about what's going on with Fonnie Willis and the huge mess that has been created in that Georgia RICO prosecution, uh, if you want to hear about Alec Baldwin, who is indicted again in New Mexico, they're actually taking another crack at prosecuting him, even though the FBI broke the gun, which is the key piece of evidence in this case. That's going to be a real problem for a conviction. But they are prosecuting Alec Baldwin again. Uh, and if you want to hear about the E. Jean Carroll case and the uh, the mess that is ongoing in Lewis Kaplan's federal courtroom in New York City um, as that case sort of stumbles toward verdict, please go to SeriousTrouble.show. You can upgrade for $6 a month or $60 a year. Become a paying subscriber. You'll get that full episode, every full episode, about 50 episodes a year. Uh, and you'll be part of the community that is making this show possible. So again, uh, that's at SeriousTrouble.show. And thank you.